Welcome to Evangel Church Online, a safe place to explore faith in Jesus, receive his love, and look more and more like him each day. And today we're going to talk about communion. What is communion? You might know it as the Eucharist, the Lord's Table, the Last Supper. It's all the same thing, so let's explore that together. Hey guys, my name is Lucas. I'm one of the pastors at Evangel Church in beautiful Powell River, British Columbia. So glad that you're here. And like I said at the top, we're gonna to be exploring communion. What is communion? As I said, you might know it as the Eucharist or the Lord's table or in, in the original kind of moment and context, the Last Supper. So what is communion? Well, communion is one of two sacraments that we as the Christian church uh, observe. And so the two sacraments are this. The first one, you might know, put in the comments if you know it. The first one is water baptism. And we walk in the observation of water baptism as a public declaration of an inward faith. But also in community together, we observe communion, the Eucharist, the Lord's table. And we do that together in communion as we look at that moment. So we're going to kind of do a little bit of a uh, discovery, not exhaustive in any way, shape, or form. This is the beauty of communion. This is the beauty of coming to the Lord's table, is you're never going to plumb the depths of what it fully means. Um, it, that, that, is a, that is a journey that lasts this lifetime and beyond this lifetime. And so this is not going to be exhaustive, but we do want to kind of take a look at communion. So the first question is, what is a sacrament? We just use this word sacrament. Well, um, Lexham Bible Dictionary defines sacrament in this way. Ritual actions undertaken by the Christian church that are understood as visible signs of invisible divine grace. Okay, so the sacrament, these two sacraments, water baptism as well as communion, are visible signs that we visibly see, visibly observe and partake in that are signs of an invisible divine grace. Water baptism being the salvation of one's soul, right? As you come to Jesus and then you make a de public declaration that's visible to everyone of what the Holy Spirit has revealed to you in Christ Jesus. This acceptance of Christ as your Lord. Communion in a lot of ways is the same way. So let's take a moment, let's pray, and let's, let's jump into what is communion. So Lord, I pray as you lead and guide us in truth today, that you would open and unveil our eyes. That Lord, we would see the cross and the Last Supper and coming to the Lord's table in a new light, that you would continually reveal the depths of your love and your mercy and your grace towards us as we observe uh, this sacrament of communion over the years to come. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Matthew's account, we, we see this in uh, just about every gospel, aside from John, but we'll, we'll kind of dig into that. Matthew's account of the Lord's Supper includes this statement, for the forgiveness of sins. And so there's this idea that Matthew brings to the table, the Lord's table, of the forgiveness of sins. The shedding of Christ's blood for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, Mark's telling is quite simple. It's actually the most simplistic telling of, of the, uh, the account, probably the earliest. 
in terms of writing, um, aside from arguably Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Uh, Luke gives some greater clarity to this moment as, uh, and uses covenantal language. He says, uh, he, he quotes Jesus as saying, a new covenant I give you. And so Luke, he draws these parallels between the old and, and now the new covenant that came as a completion of Christ's work on the cross. In John's gospel, we don't see this account. We don't see the Last Supper. However, we do see some language that speaks to it as we, as we look at uh, Jesus talking about, unless you, eat of my, as, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part in me. And he was talking to the religious rulers of the time, alluding to this idea that Christ in us is the hope of glory. And so Paul is probably now the one who gives us the most practical in terms of approaching the Lord's table. And so Paul, as an apostle, uh, in many ways wanting to pastor the moment of communion, he writes to the Corinthian church who have taken the communion, have taken the, the Lord's table, and they've kind of perverted it a little bit. And so Paul brings correction to them. But in that correction, we can see a lot of practical ways in which we approach what is communion, how do we partake of communion together, and what does it all mean? So let's turn to uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11, and we're going to start verse 23. So Corinthians 11, verse 23, if you need a Bible, we would love to have, help you just follow along with us. Just visit myevangel.church forward slash Bible, and you can download one there on your phone, whatever device you're on, and you can follow along with us. So 1 Corinthians 11, 23, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats, the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment about the other things. I will give you directions when I come. Paul's teaching um, around the Lord's table gives us an indication of both the grandeur, the mystery, but as well as just the practical parts of why we partake together and come to the Lord's table. He speaks to an understanding of this act being one of both past, present, and future. If you're taking notes, write that down. Communion, the Lord's table, the Eucharist, whatever you term it, 
is about past, present, and future. So let, let's unpack what we mean by that. Verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed. So right now, in this moment, Paul's going into the past. He took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remembrance of a past event, a past moment. They're in the present when this is written. But from now on, every time you do this, remember this moment. Remember this moment culminated in history. Notice Paul is referencing this, this past event on the night that he was betrayed. He's taking his readers back to a moment in our collective history as a humanity. He's bringing us to the event that changed everything. This is the event that spurred and sparked and began his journey to the cross, ultimately. This very quick narration that would move from this moment to a garden of betrayal and then to the cross where he would be broken and bruised and crucified for all of humanity. And there's this sort of reverence of remembrance that we are to approach the table with. You know, we approach the table with remembering that moment, remembering the path that he took, remembering what the implications were, the, the thoughts and the complexities of a traitor being at the table. Um, the love and the authority that the Lord spoke these things and walked them out. The, the cost that it, that it cost him as his body was broken, as he was mocked and humiliated, and he stayed. His grace and his love kept him on that cross. And so we think of this moment with reverence. We remember what it took. We remember what it was for Christ to die for us. And that's part of what we do. We look to the past in these moments. But when it comes to the table, um, to simply look back is, is not enough. And, you know, unless, unless the remembrance of the past informs our present and our, our, our preferred future, it's, it's kind of a futile act. And so we now have to move into the present. Uh, Kipling writes in his, uh, in his poem, Recessional, he writes, God of our fathers known of old, Lord of our far-flung battle line, beneath whose awful hand we hold dominion over palm and pine. Lord God of hosts, be with us yet, lest we forget, lest we forget. You know, we hear this sentiment every time, uh, annually, every time we're at a war memorial during Remembrance Day here in Canada. And we hear this idea, this sentiment, lest we forget. Why? Why, why, why does this sentiment, why is this carved into memorials? Why is this such a, a keystone to our Remembrance Day times of observation? It's because our present, our present and our future must be informed by our past. In order to honor the sacrifice of the past, we must be those that stand up and allow it to influence our present and our picture of a preferred future. And so we come to the table and it also informs our present. It doesn't stay in the past as a, as a thing of remembrance. 
it informs our present. There's a divine grace that we encounter. There's a, there's a mystery of his presence as we come together in community and observe this sacrament of the church. There is a presence of his Holy Spirit when we come together. We honor him. We celebrate him as the Christ, the one with the power to forgive sin and to give life. And, and there's nothing static about this moment. We're going to partake in communion together in a, in a few moments, and there's nothing static about it. It's not just a remembrance of the past. There is a mystery and there is a presence of the Spirit of God as we partake of these elements together that both remind us and help us acknowledge His presence, help us acknowledge what He's doing in and through our lives, both as individuals, families, but also as a community of faith. In verses 17 to 23, uh, Paul admonishes and he corrects the Corinthian church because they have kind of become disunified in the way in which they are doing communion together. And so you'd have rich that would have food and they wouldn't share it and they would eat it and they would get drunk. And then you'd have the poor that wouldn't have food. And this is supposed to be more of like a potluck kind of situation where everybody brought and contributed and everybody broke bread together. But there was disunity in the church. There were factions, there were cliques, there were all these things going on. And so Paul brings correction to the Corinthians. And he does it because the table demands something of us. In this present moment, coming to the Lord's table demands that we search our hearts, our attitudes, and our relationships. And this is such an interesting part of what it means to come to the table. You know, consider the church of the first century. Uh, probably nowhere else in, 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 in the history of the world up until this moment, pre-Babel, right? The Tower of Babel when humanity was united in this common purpose too. And after that, this is probably the moment that culminates in the greatest way of a mixed world you know, socioeconomically, racially, a slave, free, Greek, Jew. There's just such this, this conglomerate, this, this, this uh, potpourri, if you will, of humanity. All of a sudden now is coming together in the context of the church. And the church in this moment, it, it kind of uh, marked this unprecedented merger of all these kinds of people. This diversity of humanity coming together because of their belief that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. And of course, as you know, with diversity comes the need for long-suffering, the need for patience, the need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Because we come together with so many different perspectives and so the, the early church needed someone like Paul to correct it, particularly the Corinthians, saying, hey, you're going to be diverse, people from all walks of life. You're not going to get along all the time, but you need to figure it out because when you come to this table, you need to practice forgiveness. You need to practice unity together in Christ Jesus, your common experience is your salvation. 
Notice Paul's admonition after quoting the words of Jesus. He says in verse 29, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now there's two ways that we can interpret this, and I think both of them are true simultaneously. The first way is the way kind of we've traditionally kind of approached it. We eat and drink the elements considering the broken body and the shed blood of our Lord in light of our own lives. And so in light of our own lives and the way we've been living our lives and our attitudes and our sin and our brokenness, we bring that to the cross and we find forgiveness, right? And so there's an idea of repentance, individual repentance when we come to the table. And I think that is absolutely true. And I believe that is part of what Paul is saying here, but it's not the whole. Because as we know, the Christian church and the writing of scripture speaks to the body also in the context of the collective of the church. Christ is the head, the church is the body. And so when we come together and we approach the table, we also discern the body, the church. And so as we approach the table, we realize that we are still, even today, in this moment, an eclectic group of people. We are diverse. We have different giftings. We have different approaches. We have different, um, we have different missions in life. You know, for some of you, your, your, your mission is a particular segment of society. For others, perhaps it's generational, you know, kids or youth or adults or, or older individuals. And, and so we come together with all these different priorities and they're all right. They're all good. They're all righteous. They're all worthy pursuits. But what we do is we end up creating these camps around them because so-and-so doesn't believe as strongly in, in global missions as, as, as me or, or this person doesn't believe in, in investing in the next generation as passionately as I do. And so there, there must be something wrong. There must be some, no, no, no. This is a diverse body coming together. And so the Lord's table demands of us that we check our heart and our attitudes as it relates to the body. How have I been contributing to the unity of the body, the church? We are bound to have conflict. We are bound to have our feelings hurt. There's no getting around this. This is what diversity brings. But the Lord's table reminds us regularly to share in the great responsibility of the unity of the church in Christ Jesus. We must judge ourselves against the righteousness of Jesus, but we must also judge ourselves in terms of our part to play in the unity of the body, the church. So as we enter a new year, this is like a unique moment because this is January 1st. This is the beginning of a new year, 2023. Let's take a moment to consider the state of the body. How are we doing? How are we doing? When we come to this table today, are we united? Do we love one another? Is love conquering hurt? Is forgiveness overcoming wrongs? Is repentance overcoming sin? 
And I want you to consider who is at the table with Jesus in this moment of that past event. Judas Iscariot was at the table. Jesus had just washed his feet. Jesus had just served him in this way and in this moment. And Christ died for him as well. Forgiveness was made available to him as well. The tragedy of Judas's stories, he never accepted it. And Paul's teaching around the Lord's table, it also gives an indication of the mystery of this moment that we're about to partake in together. He speaks to understanding of this act being one of past, present, and future. The past because we remember what Christ did for humanity. The present though, because we are partaking in the mystery of his salvation and the sanctification, both in us, but also the body as a whole. There's nothing static about this moment. It's in the full presence and activity of the Holy Spirit. But it also speaks to the future. Remember, Paul's speak to the past, the present, but also to the future. Paul writes in verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And this is where things of great hope and anticipation, this is where it lives. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's a statement that assumes resurrection. It's a statement that encapsulates the primary tenet of our eschatology. Eschatology is just a fancy theological word to to, to kind of speak to our understanding and our theology of the end of time. And here's the main tenet. Christ will return. Christ will return. Return. Jesus the Christ will return. It speaks of Jesus as our righteous judge, which in turn works backwards to our present, right? It works backwards to reveal in greater measure um, the past moment of what that implication meant, what it meant for Christ to die but to rise again. And I don't know about you, but if, if our gospel didn't contain this hope of his return, this hope of him establishing his kingdom in perfection, this faith would be incomplete and it would be untenable. To live life, to make sacrifices, to carry one's cross, to be forgiven through repentance, to forgive others even when the absence of repentance would be there, it would just be too much. Without a picture, of this preferred future, Christ's return, Christianity would be too much. But we have this promise. We have a promise, a king who is coming to make all things new and all things right. The craving that we have for order in the midst of chaos the longing we have for restoration of of what God had originally intended for creation will be fulfilled. This is the promise. This is the hope. This is what our preferred future looks like. And it fuels us today. It keeps us moving forward today. It stirs faith today. It gives us strength today to continue to walk out this journey of faith. So today we're going to partake of these elements together. 
And this is the truth. The truth that informs the past, the present, and the future. And so if you have, if you're home and you have your elements, if you have, uh, if you have some juice would be preferable and perhaps a piece of bread and you can break it together as a family, whoever you're with, and let's just walk this out together. Paul writes again, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so Lord God, as we partake of this bread together, we acknowledge this past event where your body was broken and whipped and opened up the spear in your side, the nails to your, your feet and your hands. Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice, that that was for us. And so, Lord God, as we break this bread together, Lord, we also acknowledge that your Holy Spirit is here in this moment in our present. And so, Lord, as we take together, Lord, we acknowledge that your broken body was for us and we thank you deeply for it. We don't take this for granted. Lord, we ask for your healing touch. We ask, Lord, for your grace in this moment in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake together, friends. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so, Lord, in this moment, we again acknowledge your presence. We acknowledge the Holy Spirit that brings to life Christ Jesus in us, the hope of glory. Lord, we thank you for salvation. We thank you for the forgiveness of our sin. That thing, that brokenness, that sin that kept us separated from God the Father. But Lord, we thank you that in Christ Jesus, we have found the narrow way to salvation in this world. And so Lord, as we partake of this together, we remember both your body your forgiveness of sins for us as individuals. But Lord, we also think of your body, the church. Lord, help us to be agents of unity and love within it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake of his shed blood together with this juice as a symbolism of it. So Lord, we thank you for a past event that both informs and changes our present. Lord, we acknowledge your healing hand. We acknowledge your forgiveness. We acknowledge that past event having power in this moment. We acknowledge your salvation. We acknowledge, Lord God, the grace to live this life out, to contribute to the body, to contribute to the mission, to do all these things, Lord God. We acknowledge what you're doing, but we also acknowledge, Lord, what is to come. You acknowledge the kingdom of heaven that you are establishing and will establish in fullness at the end of this age. And so, Lord, we thank you for that hope that you give us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, thank you so much for beginning the new year by coming to the table with us. We hope that this has been an encouragement to you. And God bless. <laughs>